Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. And my guest today is a restaurateur who owns some of the best seafood restaurants in my opinion, not only in Omaha, but in the region, his establishments stand out because of their dedication to sourcing not only local ingredients when possible, but fish from Hawaii, the Pacific Northwest, and Alaska. I don't know how many restaurants in Omaha you can say that about, but I don't think it's many. Daryl Ald, he is the co-owner of Twisted Cork Bistro and Pacific Eating House. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of, of both of your restaurants. Um, Pacific Eating House has been a newcomer to the scene in the last two years that I think has really come on strong. And and Twisted Cork, been around Omaha since 2008. I think it's well-established as kind of one of the the bedrocks of Omaha's dining industry. And, and that's why I want to start this conversation by, by just addressing Twisted Cork because shortly after the COVID shutdown happened in 2020, um, Restaurants kind of, they they were obviously closed to dine in, and then they kind of started to slowly reopen, and then they started doing takeout. But, but Twisted Cork just didn't, really. And then there were a lot of questions and uncertainty over the last few years about when we'd see Twisted Cork again, where we'd see it. Obviously, you know, that space is being completely renovated, so you've moved. It's official. You are reopening a new location at Regency Landing, which I'm very excited about. Congratulations. But can you maybe just shed a little bit of light of what's going on with Twisted Cork the last couple of years and, and what we can get excited about here in these coming months? Sure, sure. So what, what really happened as a backstory uh, is, and again, I know this for a fact because I remember the date, March 17th, 2020, the Pacific Eating House was up and running, just started doing dinners, uh, probably had three dinners in. The Twisted Cork was running. Pacific Eating House was running. They were both there. The next day, March 18th, we got news that neither one of them was going to be running because of the pandemic. We had to shut them down, and it was takeout only. And at that point in time, the Eating House probably had twice the kitchen and so we decided to make the choice of just having the Pacific Eating House run instead of Twisted Cork Bistro. As time progressed, it looked like we could do some seating. However, it, the first thing was everything had to be spaced out six feet, and you could only have so many people. 
And that left us by reopening the Twisted Cork with uh, maybe four tables, maybe five tables is all we could have, where the Pacific Eating House could have probably somewhere around 15 tables. Since the kitchen was already in operation, since uh, the space was much larger, we went and opted for the uh, Pacific Eating House. Henceforth, everything was just a mess pretty much in 2020, not really understanding if we could open, if we couldn't open, um, and... We knew in the back of our heads that the Twisted Cork Bistro was going to get a remodel. Uh, The building had been sold. One of the reasons we ended up buying the Pacific Eating House was we weren't sure if they were just going to tear that restaurant down, Mm -hmm. take that whole building out and put a six-story place in its place. We ended up really getting to know the landlords pretty well, uh, the new landlords, and their first business idea was, hey, what we want to do is we want to keep the Twisted Cork here. Everybody knows about it. It'll help us reload uh, with different tenants and businesses. And ironically, we set up and did a lease with them and were supposed to originally, without supply chain problems really in the know, open on June of 2021. Now, I realize that it's almost June of 2022, uh, but that just tells you to the effect of how much that remodel was. They took a 1970s building, ended up gutting it all the way to the floor, the walls, took all the plumbing out, the electrical out, and really ended up kind of biting off more than they could chew, and everything was a delay. And so we have been patiently waiting with dates moving and moving and moving and moving uh, to get the Twisted Cork open. So the original Twisted Cork was 1,000 square feet. About seven, eight years ago, we added a bay next to it to make it 2,000 square feet. So we doubled it. And as a result, we kind of doubled the kitchen in a very unique way. With this remodel, we actually took everything out of the Twisted Cork, and it is now going to be 3,000 square feet uh, with a separate new entrance coming in. We also took the whole kitchen out and made it as a real kitchen, uh, which is going from the north to the south on the uh, west side of the building. So we're set to be much more efficient, and we are set to... uh, Keep the charm because we have all the tables, all the, you know, the, the colors. Uh, so we're, we're keeping it. But the one thing that we did for anybody that remembers the Twisted Cork Bistro is the original bistro was to the north. Now that bistro is to the south. And the bar, which was to the south, is now to the north. So uh, it's ready. It's close. I go there every day. But it's not quite there yet. I think... Just that story, and I know that you just told a very, very um, brief version of it. it. There, You could probably talk about all the frustrations, all the red tape for, for hours. I think it provides a little bit of insight for listeners to kind of understand that, like, the thought of just opening a restaurant or renovating a restaurant is not that simple. There is all kinds of red tape, all kinds of restrictions, and just legal stuff that you have to go through. 
But the exciting thing at the end of the day is Twisted Cork is going to be reopened soon. And Pacific Eating House, already here, already established. So you are finally going to be able to relive that dream that you had for those three sweet days of yes. having your yes. two establishments open. <laughs> I, I want to touch on Twisted Cork real quick before we get into Pacific Eating House, though, because... That, like I said, like being around since 2008, that's some serious longevity for a restaurant. And it was established. It was a small restaurant, but it was beloved. And it was just a cozy little place for someone who hasn't been into Twisted Cork, or maybe it's been a couple of years and their memory is a little foggy. How would you describe that restaurant? Well, we started out and we've always called it Twisted Cork Bistro. And we use the word bistro simply because, uh, in my interpretation, it means a small wine restaurant. And what we were trying to do, and again, uh, originally being from Seattle, I had seen this concept work, and I didn't know if it would work in Omaha, but uh, being somewhat stubborn, I wanted to give it a try. So we bought a 1,000-square-foot, or we leased a 1,000-square-foot space uh, that used to be an old deli, and uh, put in a hood, uh, put in a kitchen, put in a, a, a restaurant. And as a result, it was smaller than any restaurant you've ever seen, but it also had hot food. And that in itself was unique to the city. And what we did is I ended up doing the cooking in the back. My wife ended up doing, uh, Laura, the waiting of the tables. And we were open Monday through Friday just for lunch. And again, if you have been there and know the size of it, there was nine tables there. That's all there was. Um, There was no vestibule, no waiting area, no bar, no place to sit. And we quickly realized a couple things. Uh, Monday was not the best day. Saturday was a better day. And then we realized probably in June, after we opened in March, that uh, we should put a little patio out there. So we put a little patio to get us four extra tables. And then I think it was about June, we opened up for just Friday and Saturday dinners. And that... That really helped. We ended up having a lot of people for lunch, but then they would bring their spouse back in for dinner. And again, it was a a very simple menu with items that I knew were successful in Seattle, but were not common in Omaha. And if I'm not mistaken, I think our first uh, lunch menu had maybe seven items on it. And most people were telling me, you can't run a restaurant with seven items and you can't do this and you can't do that. And it's like, hey, well, we'll see. At least I can make those seven items right every single time. Yep. Uh, so it started off small. And uh, fortunately for us, we ended up getting to know a lot of fine people. And it just kept growing and growing and growing and expanding. How th- how important do you think that small start was? Because when you mentioned that that uh, that menu with seven items, I love that. I would so much rather visit a restaurant that has seven, ten, whatever, a small amount of items and just absolutely nails them every single time. And you know the dishes are excellently are excellent from conception to execution than a place that has 30 options and they're all pretty average. Coming in as new restaurateurs to a new city, how important was it to you to to keep things small and really focused at the beginning? I think that's 
huge. Uh, that was really what we wanted. We we kind of make this game, and, and the game is somebody comes into the restaurant and they want X. Do we have something that they would go to? And, you know, we had one hamburger. We, we didn't have seven different kinds of hamburgers, which we could have, but we just had one, and we had one sandwich and, you know, one salad and one seafood dish and maybe one chicken dish. And, again, it it helped because we didn't have to buy as many ingredients. It helped because everybody knew what the salmon dish was, and we could just keep making it over and over and over. And then, really, from a restaurant tour's point of view, the more that we consistently sell the salmon, we know what the percentage of the salmon sales are versus the rest of the menu. When you start adding the specials in, the special messes things up. And when you are dealing with the cost of seafood, which is very, very high, and the shelf life of the seafood, which is somewhat very short, uh, you have to keep the waste down. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to win in the overall game. But we also understood that the area that we went into was a fairly eclectic area that had people that had been traveling. And so we, every restaurant has steak, but the people that were taking their friends out for steak got tired of steak. And so we were trying to have them do seafood. And then we bought the absolute best seafood that you could buy. And with today's travels, uh, I mean, we like, like we could mention uh, the Hawaiian connection. We buy ahi, and the guy from Hawaii calls us up and says, I got three boats coming in, and like last week, he's got uh, sea bass on it. Do you want some sea bass? And we say, yeah. And so when the boat comes in, even it hasn't even landed yet. We've already bought that sea bass. It's already ready to be packaged and shipped, and it comes in. And for the longest time, I went down to uh, – to the airport and picked it up myself um, so we didn't have to worry about any aspects of it. And, again, seafood can last a little while, but you got to get it out of the water, handle it, ship it, hold it correctly. And I wanted to make sure we were in control of all of those steps. So we, we spent a lot of money on seafood. And then the other thing that we did that is maybe against the, the philosophy of Omaha is we went for all natural foods, so no preservatives, no additives, no food colorings. And this is 12, actually, yeah, 12, 13, 14 years ago. And that even went into, like, the drinks you serve. You didn't do high fructose corn, corn syrup, syrup. No, no Coke, no Pepsi, none of that stuff. No, like, and the person that comes in for lunch and the first thing they say is, uh, can I have a Diet Coke? And we say no. They look at us like, what do you mean no? <laughs> um, and we ended up giving them a Zevia cola, which is all natural. And then they go, well, this can't be cola because there's no color in it. And we say, well, that's the, the food coloring in it, and we don't believe in the food coloring. And so you would give them that, and already they would know, well, something's a little different about this restaurant and so we'd give them that, and then we would give them what I consider a normal portion, which is a portion about the size of, you know, the palm of your hand. And so when you take expensive seafood and you give them a six-ounce portion of seafood, it is not like some of these restaurants that give you 15 ounces and big, huge things. Uh, uh, we did get a lot of comments, you know, hey, small portion, expensive price. And uh, we say, uh, you know, I'm sorry. But I have 
you know, my philosophy, and that's what we want to do. And we quickly told the staff that not every dish, not every person is going to be a fan of the restaurant because we have a philosophy that's a little different than what they grew up with. How you strike me as a man who is pretty strong in his convictions, but were there any times early on when, when you're getting some of that feedback, I mean, obviously people turned around and they realized, Hey, maybe I'm, maybe this portion size isn't as large as I'll get down the street at red lobster, but this fish tastes like it was swimming yesterday. That tastes like it came out of a freezer bag at, at the grocery store. Like there's a huge difference. Obviously you won people over, but was there a time at the beginning when you're getting all these comments where you're just like, man, these people, they just don't get it. Like, this is, are we doing the right thing here? Well, the, you know, that always creeps into your mind. But we had a couple philosophies. One is we knew these dishes from Seattle were good dishes. They had the right balance to them. They had the right, you know, if we said something was hot, it was going to be too hot for most of the people. But the people that love the heat we're going to be so excited to get something that uh, fiery. So we knew that. And then, um, again, we, we made it fairly simple. I had to cook everything. so And my wife had to listen to them. And um, so she knew where we were coming from. And so she could explain the story. And, you know, I don't know what it is about Omaha, but they like to visit new restaurants and they love to meet owners and they absolutely love to show their friends the new restaurant and you know we had kind of all of that here's this new restaurant doing something a little bit different and the owners are actually there you can see them um and again being from seattle we met all these people that we just, you know, uh, an example would be we saw this one guy that would come in all the time with his wife, his kids, and he would take um, the grandkids on Saturday, take them home, give the parents a, a break. We thought of him as grandpa, you know, nice guy, super friendly. Well, you know, he's the CEO of one of the largest companies in Omaha, but we don't know that. We just see him as a customer, and we treat him as a customer, and he greets us by name, and we greet him by name, and, you know, we had to have the staff tell us when the mayor was in the restaurant, uh, and, you know, one time we had three mayors in the restaurant. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, two being Republican, one being Democrat, but they were all in there at the same time, and we had to kind of sit them in different parts of the restaurant. But <laughs> to us, they were just people. We didn't know they were the old mayor. We didn't know who they were. And uh, I think sometimes they liked that because it was a little hidden away. They didn't mind the price. They loved the style of food, and they liked the anonymity. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, it just kind of built upon itself, and uh, it, it, it was fun. It was small, and, and when we opened up the tavern, because we were really, really doing well with dinner, and there was just absolutely no place to wait, uh, and we didn't want people to wait outside. So we opened up, we bought the bay next to us and uh, made that into the tavern. And once we did that, I was more worried that we would lose the little charm. 
Uh, but it worked out perfectly. I mean, we had people that wanted to be on that side. We had other people that wanted to be on the original side. And it basically expanded the business, gave us a place for somebody to wait. And, uh, you know, if the pandemic would not have happened, we would have had the original, you know, the, the Twisted Cork Bistro as it was. It would still be running today. It's just with the new owners and the chance to expand it kind of made sense. And with the pandemic, it just pushed it over the edge. Mm-hmm. I love that you describe it as kind of like a, especially early on, it was kind of like a secret little getaway. Like it was like a, if you know, you know, type of restaurant where it was this this hidden gem that, you know, you knew about and you maybe told a couple friends or something. Because I, I specifically remember my first visit, I... I'd heard about it in passing, but I had never been. And then on this podcast, uh, Jessica Urban of Block 16 was like, you got to go to Twisted Cork and get the Chupino. It's one of the best dishes in Omaha. And when I went, yeah, we, we sat on that original side, and it did feel so small and so cozy. And it was like, man, this is like... It's kind of, it, you know, it's it's right off the interstate, but it's kind of in this hidden little area that you specifically have to be seeking out. And, oh, my gosh, that Chapino was just so amazing. I was like, I don't care where this place is located. I'll drive wherever it is. And and I'm excited to see, you know, how, how the space evolves in this new location. You know, maybe maybe it won't have that same hidden away charm. I'm not sure. But you mentioned there will be some more dining space. But it's also not like a massive restaurant, so we're not walking into some giant Red Robin or something like that. It's still going to have that charm, and I think that's something that, that's exciting. Um, something I want to touch on, the through line that I see in the website and kind of the experiences that I've had at both of your restaurants, Twisted Cork Bistro and Pacific Eating House, is the tagline, always natural, always wild. How does that line describe your cooking and the fare that people can experience at your restaurants? Um, we are huge fans of salmon. And uh, most people don't quite realize that uh, when you get wild salmon, you've got salmon that is born in a river, swims out to the ocean, feeds on all the stuff in the ocean. And then uh, in order to spawn, it has to go back into the river. And so you've got uh, trawlers catching the salmon out in the middle of uh, the Pacific, you know, specifically, you know, Alaska, British Columbia, Washington. But uh, you also have some that are caught as they go back into the river. And once they go back into the river, they cannot eat. And uh, as a result of that, they build up all their omega-3 oils. And so they're very rich. And there's five different kinds of salmon. There's king salmon, sockeye salmon, silver salmon, uh, pink, chum. Um, But what we know is that salmon is what we want. And as a result, we will not do the farm-raised salmon. And the farm-raised salmon is a salmon. I guess, and it is in a pen, and it's kind of brownish, and they feed it pellets so that it doesn't get sick from the other fish, and then right at the end, they give it another pellet that makes the fish turn kind of this pinkish-orange color, and most people think of salmon as salmon. Well, we know for a fact that one tastes way better than the other, and one has all of 
the um, ingredients, you know, to make a salmon because it's been eating in the wild. And so the concept of wild versus farm has always been an argument. It's not fresh versus frozen. It's wild versus farm. Uh, frozen salmon, frozen fish is fine if you know the fisherman and you know how it is caught and processed. But farm is always going to be different. So what we want as a tagline is it's always wild. We don't care what it is. It's wild. It's not made by man, uh, which goes, again, on a tangent down to the high fructose corn syrup. You know, sugar is nature. High fructose corn syrup is man. We want nature. We don't want what's made by man. And uh, as a result, the always natural, you know, hey, there's studies, and whether you believe them or not, high fructose corn syrup can lead to ADHD, or there's different things. And we just go, no, let's just keep it how society had it for hundreds of years. They would just eat what was natural. So we look at a lot of labels. We're always shopping labels. Um, and, you know, we're a firm believer in Whole Foods. I mean, Whole Foods, you cannot buy Coca-Cola there. You can buy natural colas but you can't buy coca-cola there and everything they they have is within our philosophies of pasture fed or uh you know free range or wild uh a lot of times at whole foods they'll actually tell the name of the boat that caught it or the farm that that made the cheese all that stuff is kind of within our world of how to be natural and you know, again, protect the little guy, uh, and that's what we like. And we've we've met a lot of really cool farmers, a um, lot of fishermen, a lot of meat guys, um, and that's what we want. That was one of the first things that stood out to me on my first visit to uh, Twisted Cork Bistro, and, and you see this at more restaurants now, but I remember specifically looking along the left side of that menu, you guys had listed, here's where the cheese comes from, Here's Plum Creek Farms. That's where, if you order a chicken dish, that's where the chicken's coming from. If you order pork, it's coming from John's Naturals. If you order beef, it's coming from Certified Piedmontese. Shout out to the sponsor of this show. They are excellent. Love them. But you you were so... I, and, I concur with that comment. Thank you. You, at both your restaurants, you're so transparent about where everything is coming from. There are no question marks anywhere on that menu and I think that that is just so important and it stands out so much. And I've started to see it more on menus where it's becoming important to, to restaurateurs to say kind of like what you were saying before, maybe the price point is going to be a little bit higher, but the quality of what you're eating is not only going to greatly enhance the flavor, but it's going to, you're like, it's just better for you. It's not sticking crap in your body. It's like, you know where it's coming from. You know how it's being raised. Was that, and I think I know the answer to this, but just to confirm, like, when you guys opened the restaurant, was that, like, a bedrock of this is what Twisted Cork is going to be? It's going to be all natural, all wild, all the time. Yeah, it, it is. It was. It will continue to be. And that philosophy really came um, back in the days when E. coli was kind of around. And all these restaurants were using meat, and they had E. coli, and they, they didn't know where their meat came from. Uh, and then, you know, you've got different, um, I don't know, recalls on lettuces or recalls on, you know, some product. 
And we could look at them in the eye and say, no, that's not us because we got our meat from certified Piedmontese. We got our chicken from, from Dean over at Plum Creek. And so that's not them. And so we knew, and then all of a sudden the consumer goes, well, we don't have to worry about this because they know where their fish comes from. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not on this high pedestal saying that we never have problems and food never goes bad and you can't get ill or any of that stuff because it is a natural product. And, you know, somewhere along the supply chain, if it doesn't get handled correctly, it can go south. And while we try to be uh, way on top of anything that can go uh, south, we don't always catch every mistake. But we do know where it is from, and we can call Dean and say, what the heck happened with this chicken or these eggs or whatever it may be. And, again, I don't know if you've ever had farm-fresh eggs versus the eggs that you get at the store. Not comparable. But, but the color of the yolk is so much healthier, brighter, uh, and, again, tastes better. I think it actually is more filling because you have something that satisfies you as opposed to empty calories or something that you just keep consuming. So, again, that's part of our philosophy for the portion controls. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's just make it. And, again, yeah, I mean, we we should charge more, but I know everybody out there thinks we should charge less. Uh, So, yeah, there is a a little. But I, I stick to what we buy. Uh, I mean, go down to Lincoln, go to Certified Piedmontese. They run a great operation. Uh, Their meat is fabulous. Uh, I would take their meat all the time. Yeah, fantastic. You can either buy it yourself in in the Mercado. You can buy it online. You can go to the restaurant, Casa Bovina down there. They do a beautiful job handling it. Just a wonderful, wonderful restaurant. Yeah, sign off on that. Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. I love when restaurant menus list all the different producers and farms where their meats, cheeses, and vegetables arrive from. It gives me confidence that I'm eating a quality product because the restaurant is proud to attach its name to the brand. The same goes for beef, and that's one of the main reasons why I love certified Piedmontese. Certified Piedmontese is farm-to-fork traceable as it purchases its cattle from a trusted network of family ranches in the Midwest. All certified Piedmontese beef is raised without hormones, steroids, or antibiotics, and it's 100% source verified by Where Food Comes From Incorporated. And when you buy certified Piedmontese, you know where your food is coming from and why it tastes so good. Place your order today on Piedmontese.com with my promo code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, and feast on delicious, safe cuts of beef with confidence. And now, back to my guest. A little bit earlier, you mentioned a menu item that I wanted to touch on because I think it's so fascinating, and that is the Twisted Cork Burger. You clearly, like so much of our conversation, and you guys don't just serve seafood at Twisted Cork Bistro, but that is kind of, I would say that's probably what it's most known for, and it's something you guys definitely highlight. But at the same time, like, I feel like the most single well-known item on that menu was the burger. And a lot of that had to do with Food Network putting it on uh, a list of the 50 best burgers in America or the best burger in Nebraska is one of those two. But it, it was such a unique burger. And I remember eating it. I'd never had a burger like this before because it was a a beef and pork mixture. 
And then it had a white cheddar that was just like melted and like draped on top of it. And it just like enveloped the burger like an amoeba. It was such a unique experience. Like what was the concept behind that burger? And were you surprised at how it just exploded in popularity? Uh, Yeah, it was funny because when we opened the restaurant originally, uh, we didn't even have a burger on there because I I didn't really want to be known for a burger. And, uh, and again, you have to put in perspective that it's a thousand square foot restaurant. It's very small. It's in a location that is not really well known. And, um, we ended up getting a food review from the Omaha world Herald and uh, the food writer just absolutely loves the burger. And it's like, of all the stuff that we're doing, you know, <laughs> why can't you love the salmon or something? But she absolutely loved the burger. And it started getting some buzz around it. And then, and again, we don't know how this whole thing works, but the Food Network uh, did a, a magazine. And it was uh, 50 states, 50 best burgers. And out of Nebraska, we got number one as the best burger in Nebraska. Again, not what we were going after. We did not know necessarily that they were even looking or how that whole thing went down. Um, But it kind of became, you know, a signature dish. And uh, to be honest, when you are making a burger and you use uh, pasture beef and it gets up to be about 90% uh, lean, it's too dry. It's just, it's just uh, kind of not a good piece of meat. And so I had been playing around, and what we did is we actually were getting some uh, beef shoulder and pork shoulder, and we were grinding them, and we were mixing them up. And then I came across the concept of let's just kind of season the heck out of this thing. So we put a lot of seasoning inside the burger, put some cheese inside the burger to keep it moist. Um, And so at that point in time, you could eat that burger rare, uh, which you can with pork, or well done, and it would still be a juicy burger. And then for color, instead of cheddar, I went for white cheddar and Tillamook, uh, obviously from the Northwest, had a white cheddar that was available here. So you put the white cheddar on it, and then we ended up doing some pickled red onions. And instead of using food coloring, we used uh, beet juice, and uh, we made the pickled red onions on the top of it. And all of a sudden, now you have this this kind of unique-looking burger. And again, we don't uh, really believe in the concept of fryers. Uh, we do have a fryer at the eating house because I wanted to do fish and chips. But we don't have a fryer at the Pacific or at Twisted Cork Bistro. So we ended up just putting some chips. And I thought, you know, if you're going to have a burger and chips, you need a little something. So we ended up putting a little coleslaw with it. Not a big fan of a mayonnaise-based coleslaw. So we did a vinaigrette that we make at the restaurant. And boom, you got your trifecta of food. And everybody loved it. So, again, love the idea that they like the burger. Wish they liked the Chipino. Yeah, I'd like the Chipino to be talked about. And again, at one point, everybody was talking about the Chipino, but they couldn't pronounce Chipino, so they <laughs> they were pointing to Chipino. But uh, I, my passion more is on the seafood side of it. Right. Well, the the beauty of even if it's not the menu item that you specifically want to feature, 
if the burger is getting that much attention, somebody comes in, they have the burger, and they're like, hey, that was fantastic. But they're also looking at the rest of that menu, and they're saying, interesting. Like, that burger can put you on the map to a new diner who would have never come in before. They come in, they have the burger, then they say, okay, this was excellent. I want to come in and try something different next time. So it can still open the door a little bit. Well, it opened it a lot because we ended up having a lot of people coming in for lunch uh, and dinner having seafood. But when they wanted to bring their friends, sometimes their friends said, well, I don't eat seafood. They got something else. And so we ended up adding a steak to the menu at dinner time, and we had the burger at lunch and dinner. And again, the burger actually is cheaper than a lot of the seafood, so we actually had a lower price point on some of that. But it was a safe bet for some of these people that wanted to come in. Mm-hmm. So it worked out. Again, you don't plan it. Sometimes it just happens. Mm-hmm. And so it worked out well. Mm-hmm. Um, when did the idea for Pacific Eating House enter the picture? Uh, when we did the lease at Twisted Cork, and then we did the second lease at Twisted Cork, uh, the rumor was the the owner of the building wanted to sell it. And then I met the new owners. I was actually met them actually before the, the deal even got done. And I was just under the impression, if you know what Shaker Place looks like, which is now going to be called Regency Landing, if you understand that there's a there's a two-story building and next to it is a two-story building that has a basement. And I just thought if they're going to spend all that money, they're going to knock everything down. Uh, that's just how I would do it. Um, and so take it all down, build something like the TD Ameritrade buildings, something. And I would be out of a restaurant for the course of the time. So I decided that we would go up to Sterling Ridge and do the Pacific Eating House. And uh, Chip, who's the uh, landlord up there, I mean, he had a bay open. He turned down hundreds of places that wanted to go into that bay, waiting for the right person. He liked our concept. And again, we call it Pacific Eating House because we're trying to do stuff around the Pacific Rim. So we do stuff up and down the the left coast and we do uh, stuff into Hawaii and parts of Asia. And nobody had really done that. And it worked to the point where he's happy, we're happy. And then when the cork opened up, we can have it be a little bit uh, different. Mm Mm-hmm. We did at one time, again, because our timeline is so messed up, we pulled some of the Twisted Cork Bistro items off of that menu and we're selling them at the Pacific Eating House. Uh, Again, to get that muscle memory back in because I felt like it was gone. And that brought a lot of our old regulars up to the eating house. And then I thought we were going to be opening up the cork and so i took them off because i wanted them to want those items again probably took them off too early because we're still not quite open but uh it uh builds the anticipation yes it does it does it it's uh um but those uh again you know when the cork opens up it has 90 percent of the old menu on it so everybody that's waiting for x y or z is going to be able to find x y or see, there's a couple new ones. Uh, the menu is a little bit different looking, but um, yeah, it's got all the stuff. 
as just the Northwest wines. We just have Washington and Oregon wines. Still has that, just a small tap system, a small uh, cocktail. You know, we're we're trying to do wine at the cork more than the eating house. Eating house has a, a larger cocktail uh, menu. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we found some stuff that we liked. At the eating house, we have windows that you can look into the kitchen. Makes the kitchen have to be on stage. Makes the kitchen have to be clean. Put the same windows down at the at the cork. So now the cork has windows. Uh, you can you can basically see everything from those windows at the cork. You could see the dishwasher to the line to the servers, uh, deliveries. You can you can see everything. And to me, it's like a little window into the soul of the restaurant. Yeah, I, I think there's two benefits to it. A, like you said, it keeps everyone accountable because customers are watching you. You gotta you know you can't fly off the rails at somebody else. You can't have a dirty station. You got to, everyone can see you. You, you got to be on your best behavior. But also as a diner, and I, maybe I'm on, I'm on the 1% because I just love food so much, but I could just sit there and not even eat and just watch a kitchen for hours. And it's just so fascinating to me to watch everything run. So like to be able to have that glimpse inside the kitchen is such a benefit. And that's something I'm willing to pay up in price for if I can, see that um going back to establishing pacific eating house obviously it is a seafood focused restaurant like the twisted cork bistro is but you did talk about how the concept is a little bit different it's a little bit more along that whole west coast you've got some some inspirations from asia that are a little bit different from what was on the menu at the twisted cork and what's going to be on there again in terms of both what you were serving and just the the dynamic, the vibe, the atmosphere of the restaurant, how did you decide what at Pacific Eating House was going to be the same or similar to Twisted Cork and what was going to be different and establish it as an entirely different concept? You know, it was, it was tricky because, uh, again, my wheelhouse goes into the seafood world. Um, I'm not such a big, uh, personally, a, a meat eater, chicken eater, that type of stuff. Uh, but we wanted to represent uh, some of the states, uh, including British Columbia, along the left coast and have a dish that was kind of unique to that state. So we did a lot of research and found some dishes there. And then we wanted to have some dishes that would make you feel like you had traveled uh, somewhere. But at the same token, we, we had to have the consumer want them. And, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Jessica earlier. Jessica used to work for me at the Twisted Cork Bistro. And so I called her and Paul up and I said, hey, come come visit me. Look at the menu. I'll buy you dinner. Tell me what you think we're missing on this thing. And, uh, you know, Paul's reaction was, you know, I love the food you have here. Uh, but, you know, what, what I think is really missing is just a killer fish and chips. And so we started working on efficient chips. We, we added it to a children's menu, which we don't have at the Twisted Cork Bistro because uh, it is a little more family-friendly up at the eating house. Um, and, you know, it, it was really kind of where do you put it on the menu? How do you make it taste? What's the right price point? We look at the velocities to see how much it sells. We listen to the feedback. 
And, you know, we've tried a lot of dishes back and forth, and it, it gets tricky with the pandemic, and it gets tricky with the customers. But I think right now we've kind of landed on a few. Uh, Laura and I went to a few uh, Korean restaurants, and we had some bibimbaps, uh, which we really enjoyed. So we did a bibimbap. Uh, but then it's like, no, nah, it's not quite right. You know, we, we got to be more authentic on this. So we got a better sauce that we make, and we... We ended up buying the hot stone bowls and we started, you know, make instead of buying kimchi, we're making our own kimchi. And, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, a bibimbap, which I don't know, 90% of Omaha hasn't heard of, is probably in the top three of our sellers on that menu. And again, it, it hits a price point, it hits what the restaurant's about. Uh, and again, we take our Piedmontese steak and we cut them and there's some scraps left over and we take those scraps and we put them into the bibimbap. And so there's some flank steak and there's some uh, filet and there's some ribeye. And, you know, we list that out and people say, can I get my bibimbap with just the filet? And we say, no, it's kind of all kind of mixed together there. But it's, it's a lot of trial and error. And I always knew that we were going to have the cork opened up. And I always knew that there was going to be a couple dishes. Laura's Lavash, which we've had forever. Again, you know, compliments to M's Pub, because when we first came here, we had never seen Lavash served that way. It was always a cracker. That will always be there. Uh, We do something called JDF Tacos, which is uh, from the Juan Juan de Fuca is what JDF stands for, which is a straight between British Columbia and Washington State. Uh, It's a salmon taco. Gluten-free. Hits two two big things, it's going to be on both menus. Um, but by and large, I mean, we'll have a salmon done one way, a halibut done one way. We'll, we'll do some things back and forth. But uh, the eating house was tough. It was tough because it was a pandemic. It was tough because it was a big restaurant. It was tough because everybody wanted stuff from the court because it was closed. Uh, but I think we finally kind of, and I never say never, but I think we're, we're pretty close on getting that menu locked in the way we want it to be locked in. I know that you just said it's been a challenge, but was it also kind of reinvigorating for you as a restaurateur? Because I, I would assume, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but the Twisted Cork, it obviously changed and evolved over the, the 12 years between its opening and then the pandemic. But there's a lot of things that kind of stayed pretty stable on that menu throughout as you're developing a new, not just a new menu, but a new concept and a new cuisine and all these new dishes. Was there part of it that in just like the pure creativity that was exciting and reinvigorating as well? Well, I, I love looking at menus. I love looking at cookbooks. I love going out and seeing what's unique into uh, a restaurant. And when we travel, we like to go to restaurants that are unique that we can find ideas. Uh, that part is always fun. The sourcing of the items, uh, because Omaha is not as large, uh, the supply chain issues where you finally get the sourcing correct and they don't have it is uh, a pain. And then, you know, the staffing issues. You know, you've got to find somebody that can execute the cooking and wait the tables, that's a challenge. So 
parts of it, yeah, I mean, that's why I stay in the restaurant business because I love looking at menus and, and coming up with these dishes and you're kind of throwing yourself out there. My ego says you're going to like this and your ego says, why the heck did you put this on the menu? And uh, there is a particular item that I absolutely love. It's called a loco moco. It's a Hawaiian oh, yes. dish. It's got rice. It's got burger. It's got a, a kind of a gravy to it. Big some egg on top. Egg on top. Some some grilled onions. It's just it, it just makes me smile because we have it in Hawaii all the time. I probably tried that four different times at the Twisted Cork Bistro. It's been on that menu, and the staff loves it. It just doesn't sell. I mean, it's anti what kind of we do when you throw meat with gravy and rice on a plate. It's not really what people come for. Um, so, I mean, I don't win every argument, uh, but I'll I'll give it a shot. I'll try it. Well, if the Locomoco ever does reappear, I can confirm. I, I went to Hawaii probably five or six years ago with my family, and, yeah, I still remember having that dish. So if it ever does come back, listeners, just give it a try. Try something new. I mean, gravy, burger, bread, and, an, and a fried egg. Like, what about that sounds bad? Nothing. So just go give it a try if it does come back. All right, we're running up against time here, but there are two questions that I like to ask pretty much all my guests, and I'm very interested to get your answers as, as a very experienced restaurateur in this industry first one is this what is one thing about working in the restaurant industry or being a part of the hospitality industry that you think most diners don't know but you wish they did um basically the reason you work in the restaurant industry it's no different than having your friends over to your house for dinner it's something that you kind of plan um and we enjoy hosting the people at the restaurant. You meet so many people. And again, there's exceptions to every rule, but the people are so nice in Omaha. They are so encouraging. Um, they greet you by name. You greet them by name. I, I tell the staff, they're, they're just like your friend's family coming to your house. And that's the experience that we want, and you can get that experience over and over and over again. So it's not so much that it's a job uh, that everybody hates and this customer is always mean. It's, it's truly the opposite. Servers stay there because they have regulars, and those regulars are super nice to them, and they watch them grow up, and they know what they're doing at school, and they know the names of some of their kids. And that... I think if you can actually think of restaurants as family, part of your extended family, because a lot of people go to the same restaurants all the time. It's within their little circle of influence. That, I don't know that people understand that, that we like to see you come in and visit with us. It's, it's fun. I mean, sometimes, yeah, we're short because we're, we're you know busy at that time. We don't have the time to talk to you as long as we wish. Uh, but... That was my job. It was just, you know, hey, I didn't have to cook anymore. Don't want to wait the tables. I'll just go talk to people and see how their life is. And that's what's fun. And I think if you understand that as a customer, that we're looking forward to seeing you as much as you want. And equally, we're happy when your food is a 10, and we're very, very disappointed when your food isn't. Uh, we want you to be happy. We want you to come back. My whole philosophy is 
Get them to repeat. We are not a one-off place where you're going to visit one time and never come back. We want you back, and we want you to uh, bring your friends. I love what you just did with that question because that's generally that's kind of a question where it's tends to be the answer is a little bit more negative because we're trying to shine a light on what people can try to understand. But you turned it into such a positive thing that the answer to my last question might be kind of a repeat, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is your favorite thing about being a part of the hospitality industry, if it's at all different from what you just answered in that last question? Well, I think we spoke of this earlier, but my personal favorite in the hospitality industry is really trying to get a guest to understand a new culinary term, to get them to try a locomoco, to get them to have something. And, you know, I made a dish one time. I just kind of went out there and I and I got some lobster and I, I kind of made a, a, a licorice butter to it. And I, I made a loomy loomy salad, which is kind of a tomato and smoked salmon salad. And I, I just ran it as a special, you know, and it really wasn't that hard. It really didn't take that long. It was really just a commitment to buy the lobsters. Um, but we have people that still talk about that special. really, And, you know, it's just something that you do on the fly because I thought realistically price point, you know, lobster. Um, but that's, what's fun about the restaurant. It's, it's taking an idea that you see in a menu in Los Angeles, in Chicago, in Honolulu and saying, is Omaha ready for this? And I take the philosophy that says, you know, if it, comes out of L.A., it goes up to San Francisco, hits Seattle, and by the time it hits Seattle, it's got to be pretty good. So if it's there, I can bring it across to Omaha, and it will be a win. But some of the ingredients that we have in it are things that nobody's really heard of or had. And so it's, it's getting the staff excited about it and then getting the customer excited about it, and then all of a sudden they're having a quote-unquote bibimbap uh, that they've never had of. So my favorite part of the restaurant really is just the the look on someone's face when you give them something that they really didn't know they would want, and they go, wow, this is this is really good. And it's it has to be unique. I don't want to give them the best filet they've ever had because they've had filet mignon. But I like to give them the best, you know, whatever. I mean, we brought in the Hawaiian sea bass over the weekend at the eating house, and... Uh, uh, my chef, Patrick McCracken, you know, kind of made a, a really nice preparation to that. And customers were raving about it. I mean, that's the fun that every now and then you just hit a special uh, and you see what goes on. I love that philosophy so much. Always trying new things, having an open mind. That's how I think just as a overall dining public, we grow in knowledge and we can just make the restaurant scene all that much better. Daryl, this has just been a fantastic conversation. I've loved every second of it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.